and welcome. My name is Tom, and this is episode two of the Ska Podcast, a podcast about Ska where every week we find an interesting thread related to the world of Ska, pick it up, and see where it goes. And if you're still here, despite that intro, today uh, is going to be super cool because it's the first time I've had a second episode, and it's also the first time that I'm going to have a guest. So, if you didn't listen to last week's episode... Uh, it was all about my personal history with ska music and how it changed my life and all the just that whole journey, which I just wanted to share to contextualize what the heck is happening here. And this week, I wanted to dive in and sort of have a similar discussion, but with somebody else. And that is my very good friend, Mike Alvarez. I'm going to give him just just run through the stats real quick. So Mike and I have been friends for almost 20 years now. Mike has a has a history of going kind of similar to me, like not knowing what ska music, it sounds like, you know, finding religion or something, and then knowing what ska music is, and then um, going even beyond that and performing in multiple bands over the and present day, like literally working on and releasing music in addition to being his day job is a high school band director and high school ASB director. So he's, and he has two kids. Uh, so he's busy and he made time to be here so hi mike i'm number two <laughs> all right there's 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 such a deep deep connection in this for us that it's going to be impossible not to do inside jokes throughout the whole thing <laughs> yeah i apologize in advance so uh brief history like how would you describe yourself because we have known each other for a long time but as happens in adulthood you don't get to hang out like there was a point in time where you would come to my apartment every day <laughs> and yeah. we would see each other every day but that was like a long time ago well over a decade ago significantly more than a decade ago and now it's like you know we talk online and like each other's twitter posts and things but we don't have that day-to-day like i know exactly right. what you're doing you know exactly what i'm doing relationship that you you can have when you're younger so uh, for people who might not know you, and even me, since I don't know everything that happens in your world anymore, who are you? And what are you doing here? I'm Mike, and uh, I'm a, like you said in the intro, I'm a band director, and um, I'm the ASB advisor, director, whatever the title says. Uh, so basically, I'm I'm like the event person <laughs> on campus. I, I put on all the cool events. That's not true. Um, and um, I am married to my wife, Krista. We've been married for eight, eight years, eight years. Um, we have two kids, Rayanne and Mila, and uh, they're three and seven weeks. So three years old and seven weeks. Uh if it was the if it, they were both weeks, that would be really bad. <laughs> Delayed <don't>... twins. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I'm in like you were saying. I'm in currently. I'm in three bands: um, Good Luck Ugly, The Toyotas, and Holy Schnikes. Um, which one of them is is mostly covers, so that's why that one feels really possible. Because which I'm one not is writing that? the songs? That's Holy Schnikes. Holy Schnikes is almost all covers. We we might have some original songs, but you just did your Smelly Cat cover, right? Yeah, yeah. That one that one will be on a 
on a compilation in like the UK or something. Cool. Um, yeah, I just get I just get the projects. Uh, my my partner in it, Jacob, he he kind of gets all the connections and stuff. So well, it's funny, you know, my very first video that I ever uploaded to YouTube ever, which was not on my like current channel, so you cannot find it, was the video we made in 2007 when you were recording an album all by yourself the like the sounds it. like mike yeah little, oh man it was like the records the record uh recording studio was the like the guitar tech for like slipknot or something like that i can't remember what his it, claim it wasn't to fame was it, it wasn't something that totally jived with where we were at <laughs> but uh I was clearly a nuisance. <laughs> right. But you had a little bit of money. And so that worked. And I mean, like the song sounded, especially, I don't know how old you, at the time, you must have been like 18 or something, 19 years old. Like, I mean, it was le- it was a legit album all d- recorded with one person. And I yeah. just filmed a little compilation of it, which I edited together in iMovie. And the end of it, you have a guitar solo and a song. And I wanted to do quick, fast paced, like, frame by frame like and the, just mm-hmm. all the whole thing so i actually skipped one of my college classes oh and stayed i stayed home to that. finish that and i moved because <laughs> i was so excited about it and it was really hard to do frame by frame editing in like iMovie 2 or whatever version it right. was uh so that was anyway that was really fun but that was you like point being i guess you've been doing this stuff for a long time and there have been times when you've been in bands times when you've not been in bands but even when you're not, it doesn't stop. Like, that's why you'll just go like, I'll just do it all by myself then. And that actually kind of comes connects to your first episode talking about growing up where we kind of did like you, you grew up in a slightly different town for that first portion of your life. And then when you were in high school, you grew up where I grew up yeah. and um, like you can attest to it. There was no ska scene. No, there wasn't. Uh, in the town I originally grew up in, I sort of, I didn't say this in the first episode, but it was a town where there was an undercurrent of people who were really happy about being white people. I will let you read between the lines of what I mean with that, but I did not fit in. But as I hear you talk about like being a, a band director and being in all these bands, which have played like, you've played in bands at venues where you've gone to shows, which I think is really cool yeah. like, when you can, that's pretty surreal. Uh, but I first knew you in the 11th grade. I think you must have been in 10th grade because we're, we're a year different. Yeah, I, I knew your brother who played music. I played guitar. He had drums. And he was like, you should come over to my house and play drums. And he had a whole room that you could play music in loudly. And I lived in like a little apartment. So that mm-hmm. was amazing. Um, but our musical tastes, he and I just weren't totally the same. We did, we did like fun stuff. And then you were his brother who was there. And I recognized you because I had only ever seen you around school uh, wearing Simpson shirts every day. We didn't talk, but every, every day you wore a different Simpson shirt and not like, oh, he has like five or six Simpson shirts. But like, you never wore the same one twice, uh, which is very impressive. That, that's because I had a shirt for every day of the month. Not every day that's of the week, insane. every day of the month. I had like 31 shirts. Uh, that's how many days are in months yes uh i covered all of them you know (laughs) march um but um 
Yeah, I was this. I was the Simpsons kid. That's my go-to like embarrassing story about high school. That's not was even that? embarrassing though. <laughs> For you, that's like cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I. That's why I was like, I. Sh- that was how I knew you when you showed up in your brother's or in the room that all your instruments and stuff were because you guys kind of shared. I was like, that's the Simpsons kid. He's cool. Darn right. <laughs> but I, I was also the kid that people threatened to stab about the things I liked. So maybe my judgment was. I I, think <laughs> I thought you were cool. I, I think you were in the right. Let's just put. It I was. <laughs> everyone everyone else was wrong. Um, but anyway. At that time, like, I mean, you were Simpsons. I don't remember because we we hung out and we would play music like your brother and I. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it was sort of like, I don't even remember how it transitioned, but like eventually you were just playing the drums and stuff instead. <laughs> um, and our musical taste just seemed to be in line. I was a couple years into like my ska obsession. And I don't, I actually don't know where you were in terms of like what you were listening right. to at the time. So... At the time, I was very like pop punk um, and punk, you know, um, the first cassette, because that's how old we are. The first cassette that I bought, like with my own money, was Americana by The Offspring, which you were talking (laughs) about The Offspring in the first episode. My first CD was Um, The Offspring. And actually, after I listened to your podcast, I went and listened to Americana because I was like, I got to listen to the first one I got. And yeah. man, there are a couple like things that aren't as timely as they were. That album holds up. Like, that's yeah, a pretty good all, album. All, <laughs> all the stuff really holds up. Like, I really hate that Enema of the State is uh, 23 years old, ironically. And I still like mm-hmm. it, even though it's 23 and that makes me sad but it's like it still holds up like it doesn't sound old to me like no in 1998 music that was 23 years old sounded very of a different era and for some reason i I don't know maybe that's just what old people say all the time like my music is timeless but um so you were (laughs) i don't know so anyway i was um i was listening to that like i had a small like heavy hip hop phase in like middle school. (laughs) Um, You know, you were talking about new metal. I never quite got into new metal. I think I had chocolate starfish. Uh, Yeah. But I think I listened to like the two TRL songs. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and put this album like somewhere else. Um, Well, so just real quick tangent. Uh, the thing that really hooked me with Limp Biscuit was Wes Borland, um, who right. I still to this day like. Um, and he he was re- like their weird guitar player who was always dressed up in weird ways. But then he did a solo project when I was in high school. I was still at my old school. So it must have been ninth or 10th grade. He did a project called Big Dumb Face, which was just, it was right. what you did, him doing every song in the album. And it was like the first time I'd heard an album that had like lore to it because it was about like characters and settings. And it was right. really stupid, but like it was really funny. And maybe that was kind of a thing that was like opening up the thing to like Aquabats and stuff because it was someone who I like, had respected from the before times right. and they were going like, yeah, it's fun to be experimental and weird and goofy with music. And like, you can actually have fun with it. And the end of the album is literally just him making prank phone calls. Uh, 
<laughs> so like it's it's very interesting and then that album that you mentioned uh was i think that was the first one of theirs that came out after i had started playing guitar and he had done the whole new metal thing of like seven string guitars one finger right. power chords and that was where he switched to six string guitars and i remember i read an interview where he's like i can't even play six strings that well so i'm not gonna add a seventh yet <laughs> and I, I was like that's actually kind of crazy and then he worked really hard to like really build up his right. guitar playing skills so say guitaring skills uh, and I just thought that was cool. And then just recently, I've seen him on podcasts and stuff from like this week, which is very strange because it's like, oh, you're you're still like making music and doing cool stuff. And like, I, I was anyway, uh, I still like him a lot. That was my like connection to that album. And it all just flooded back. So I had to interrupt you and tell you about it. No, that's fine. <laughs> because that's after, how interviews after work. After your podcast, I went back and listened to Limp Biscuit, and I was like, okay, oh. I was right. I was right to not listen to them that much, but yeah. I was listening to the singles, and the thing that stands out to me are the guitar parts. If like, you could just get rid of the if vocals, you could isolate the you'd have some decent. Parts, they're super weird. They're super interesting, and it's undercut by the fact that it's talking about Nookie and rolling yeah, places and well same thing like their drummer is super good mm-hmm. um like they're really like musically musicians. they're not bad it's just yeah. the vocals are terrible <laughs> i'm sorry if anyone like is a, a, a limp biscuit head but i don't know what they call their You're fans about to get stabbed dude <laughs> it's gonna happen again oh no um, um never but... mind they're all great and fred durst <laughs> um, is a treasure i did have a safe ferris album that a family member gave me and that was kind of like my big intro, you know, being a millennial, we had like a, a plethora of, you know, um, weird where like America bought out Japanese properties and then did stuff with it. So there was like the Digimon movie that had like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones in it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you were talking about basketball and, you know, I think you showed me that movie for the first time. Probably sinner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it was actually when you came over that I was introduced to the Aquabats because one of the songs we played was Danger Woman. I do remember that. I remember that very well. After we played that together, I went on LimeWire and was like, (laughs) the Aquabats. And um, just started really listening to them. And then, you know, since we were in that generation of stealing music. Sorry. You mean um, borrowing? Borrowing. I gave it back. <laughs> look how much look how much money I have spent on Aquabats merchant yeah, albums ten true. times over. If I could have, I would have at the time. <laughs> but I think, you know, it was that place of like everything would get mislabeled. And oh my so gosh. like there would be Aquabat songs that were like real big fish songs. And at that point, it was like, oh, who is this for real? And so I sought them out and then, it, you know, introduced to Real Big Fish, introduced to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And the crazy part, I don't know if you, because I may have introduced them to you. I might be wrong about this. But when I was doing this search, and this is a a heated discussion for another time because people get all weird if they're ska or not. But... um Streetlight Manifesto. I thought that's where you're going. <laughs> came out with everything went numb. Yeah. And I f- like 
I got it you, at the at the warehouse when it first came out, and I was like, "What is this magic? Like, this is amazing." You were the one that introduced them to me because I ha- and I have a specific memory of it too that you might not even be aware of. It was sometime I think you were either picking me up or dropping me off at like my mom's apartment. <laughs> oh, and you were in your Toyota Matrix. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is like a little like hatchback. It's like a hatchback Corolla, basically. And I'm just setting the scene for everyone. And it was nighttime. And I, I remember your car facing. I think I had come out to meet you. Like mm-hmm. you were picking me up and I came out to meet you and your car was sitting there. And suddenly it was just the the beginning like saxophone of everything right. went numb, which was <laughs> like you had your bass turned up to 11. And it was it was uh, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble for, like, being a nuisance. But I just remember this Toyota Matrix sitting there with, like, bump, 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 bump. And I was like, oh, my God. And I didn't know what it was, but it sounded great. And that was the first time I heard Streetlight. I'm a, I'm a very uh, nerdy Mexican. I don't have hip-hop or, or ranchero music playing. I have ska music. <laughs> but, I mean, there's, like, a huge, which I don't, this is where, like, I, as a straight white male, I just want to never talk about race or culture because I just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a strong Latino like influence in ska, and that is very interesting to me. I actually think it's the other way around. What I've uh, I've started to kind of research more and more into Mexico, trying to go deeper into my roots because my mom is from Mexico, my adopted father is from Mexico, so. I grew up this Mexican culture, but I grew up in America. So they were like, no, 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 no. Um, And I'm finding out how much of a melting pot Mexico is and how influenced Mexico is from Africa and from uh, the Caribbean and Jamaica and all of that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if some of the folk music from Mexico took some of the influence from African music, which the African music helped the Caribbean music, which the Caribbean music then turned into ska music. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the timeline. Cause I don't actually think it's the Latin to the um, Jamaican, but the other way around. And I, I mean, I had always thought it just like converge in some way, just because, you know, like traditional Latin music has right. horns and brass and stuff. And it just figured when people are playing that and you have other styles of music that incorporate it, you're just going to go like, oh, look, I, I also play that. So I will like, you just yeah. sort of absorb, you know, like if you yeah, play guitar I'm, and you hear other I'm, guitar sounds. I feel like there is a connection. I don't know what it is historically, but I I do think that there is is definitely a joining factor in both of them. Cause th- there is something similar, even within just like some of the um, folk music of Mexico has kind of this offbeat um, mm-hmm. hit. And sometimes yeah. it's fast, sometimes it's slow, but there is this little offbeat thing. And I think that like ska music, I think it kind of pushes it or sits on it a little more. And like some Mexican folk music is just kind of on on time in the pocket about it but mm-hmm. there i there is something there um but yeah i i agree there is a connection i don't know exactly what it is i have my theories. i mean that's cool i i, I had no idea i didn't know <laughs> that part there i i what i just noticed was there's there's always sort of been you know 
there's sort of been that influence one way or the mm-hmm. other. And then looking, because I did that thing where I like the music that I like, and then at ages, you know, 14 to 21, and now that is the music that I like, right. and I don't know anything else. Uh, and so, like, looking into, like, well, okay, like, ska music still exists. There's actually, like, quite a lot of it out now, and, like, some people doing right. really cool stuff, and a lot of it that I have seen is like, has like heavy Latin influence or even like Spanish lyrics or like, mm-hmm. and I was just super curious about and that. I, and I feel like that has a lot to do with like the LA ska scene. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a huge like Chicano wave of ska music where like a lot of them weren't born in Mexico would really, you know, solidly consider themselves American and um you know they, they go places and people are like, "Oh, you speak English" or like all this stuff and it's like we speak Spanish in our music because it's a connection to what we've grown up with, what we understand. Mm-hmm. But like we're American, we're from LA. <laughs> like right. <laughs> I know I've heard that. Um yeah. And so I yeah I th- that aspect of connection of ska and like there are definitely Mexican ska bands that are in the heart of Mexico that are like huge it has a crazy scene down there um but I I think a lot of like LA has to do with at least maybe what you might be hearing Yeah I that I mean that completely makes sense to me but it's also what I like about it what I talked about last week like the thing I like the music I like the culture. The people I met through getting into Scott were just nicer people than I had known yeah. prior. So, like, all of those things converged to uh, to make it something that I became obsessed with. But, you know, the Aquabats being the gateway, a big thing about them is they're they're very, like, they are a melting pot in terms of, of uh, like, reference. Like, in the early 2000s especially, they would redo their website, like, eight times a year with different graphics oh. and different whatevers. And it would always like, sometimes it would have a Japanese influence. Sometimes it would have a mm-hmm. Spanish influence. Sometimes it would go like into some old retro thing. And so like, right. it was just sort of taking anything from anywhere. And if you go to shows like they, you know, they'll throw in like bad Spanish or they'll throw in something like, you know, from Japan or whatever. And it was just sort of what I really liked about that was, there wasn't this clear line between like this culture, this culture, this culture. It was sort of like, we're going to borrow this thing and like use that. We're going to borrow this and use that. Even if it's literally just banter in between songs, if yeah. it's a, if it's a graphic or a styling for like a t-shirt or something, I just thought that was really cool. And for me, it opened up like, uh, this sounds really dumb to say, but it, it like made other cultures less confusing because, you know, mm. you kind of know what you know and, and when you just sort of like see other things being used in a way that makes it accessible, you're just like, oh yeah, all that stuff's really cool. And it's not to say that I wasn't interested in other cultures or like that I was scared of it, but I just didn't understand, you know, I just didn't understand. Like I assumed if someone spoke Japanese, that is so inaccessible to me because it's not even based at all in the language that I speak that it's going to be very hard to have a connection. But it's like, nope, there's all kinds of stuff. There's music, there's artwork, there's just like visual humor or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, there's tons of ways to connect and like the aquabats and the whole ska area like it just helped by folding that stuff in very indiscriminately like anyone and everyone was a part of it that was huge to me and i loved that yeah and i think i think ska is and and, you know 
I think people might there's there's been a big argument on the internet of like you know ska was never gone there's no new wave because it it never really left it was just underappreciated and i think i think there's validity in that it, in the sense that it is it is the most include from my knowledge and my experience i could be wrong outside of that but from my experience it's literally it, it's the most inclusive genre i know of because i can think of you know there's like um scott network who who's very inclusive there's um like scott punk international who features um bands from all over the world all the time and it, even now like i shouldn't be shocked but it's it's crazy to see you know there's Japanese ska bands, there's German ska bands, there's UK ska bands, there's um, Jamaican ska bands. That's crazy. No, but that, you know, like <laughs> it, it's this thing where it's like, I, I think it's more prevalent around the world. And I think more people find a home there in ska music than most genres. And that's not to say it's perfect because, um, like the book in defense of ska was talking about the uh what's their name Propag- propagandi um their song yeah propagandi their song ska sucks and it wasn't it wasn't to say ska sucks but it was literally like to speak against some skinheads who were causing trouble some nazis who were causing trouble and like their point was like you this is not your thing like don't you it don't do this. Um, so like people who have like bad evil intent can take ska music and try to do something with it. But I feel like the culture and the community is very inclusive enough to protect people and to be like, no, we don't, we don't really want that. Um, That's definitely the exception and not the, the yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I also think the community is really good about like bringing people up and um, really doing something positive. Um, so yeah, I, I I would agree with that. Of of like, it, it's kind of everywhere, and it brings everyone together, and it doesn't really matter where you're from. It's huge. Like it, an American band, a Mexican band, a UK band could go to Japan, and it'll be huge because. The, they're just like you do ska music let's listen to it and <laughs> yeah. you know like um oraska band i've been trying to see every time they come to america and i can never get tickets because they sell out so quick and you know it's it's a it's a japanese band but they have a huge following here too and it's you know i i would love i would love more of that like i think it's rad i don't know it is, it is it's it's uh I mean, that's the thing that, that I love and I guess that, that must have hooked. And what is interesting is like, you know, you talk about, okay, I guess I introduced you to Aquabats, <laughs> badly labeled pirated music, introduced you to the other bands. <laughs> and then you did you did that thing, which I don't know if it's as popular to do anymore as common, but I think part of it had to do with um, just having a lack of access to information where you kind of do your own research because i i can even remember reading liner notes of albums and you see like 
someone in a band, you like thank someone from another band and then you kind of dig into like, what's that band? Or you, you read right. an interview with someone from a band and they reference something that they liked, uh, which was huge. Like that's how I got into Operation Ivy was through the Aquabats. They did do a cover of Knowledge for the right. Operation Ivy compilation, which is a very different from the original. But nice it was also like... version. <laughs> yeah, with hand farts. But it was, um, that was where I was like, oh, like this band sounds very influential in, and you listen to style and it's like, I mean, you can hear influence, I guess, but you wouldn't really say like the Aquabats play the same exact music as Operation Ivy. Like there's a lot of difference there, but it still makes it interesting. Like, okay, what were the people I admire listening to when they were at a point where they were being inspired and coming up with something that they want to make? And you just kind of follow that, those threads around. And that's when you come across people, you know, like Tim Armstrong, who then has a, a hand in like <laughs> everything to this day, like there's a mm-hmm. connection. And, and there's there's a few of those kinds of people throughout, um, at least like the North American ska history, where it's like everything sort of bounces back and is connected in some way. And to me, that's fascinating. When, and mm-hmm. you find so many good bands and so much good music that way. Because um, I, I even remember Rancid specifically was like, I... I saw i did see kids wearing rancid shirts a lot or like sweaters and stuff mm-hmm. in high school and i was always scared of it because it looked like tough you know <laughs> like the logo is like like a stencil stamp thing and it's it's it just seemed like oh this is like scary like metal or whatever and then when i did the digging and was like okay here's operation ivy i bought like the big compilation that's like their whole catalog or whatever and i was like these songs are great it's really fun to hear a rough recording of these teenagers recording, you know, mm-hmm. songs that are still wildly influential. And then it was like, wait, it's like people from that are in Rancid. And then I listened to Rancid and go like, God, a lot of these songs are just like real catchy and like really mm-hmm. good. And uh, not what I had expected them to be prior to that. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, that was fun. I don't know why I told that story, but I told it. Maybe the point was just how like, it's so big, but the world is so small too. It's it's just sort of like how much there is to discover. I think I was thinking back to your to your specific journey of you know, so going in and you, you, like I guess you started by what I had introduced you to. Right. So here's the stuff that I know you got introduced to that, but then mm-hmm. you discovered stuff on your own, and not only right. did you discover it, but it like stuck with you. It wasn't the thing that ah, I used to listen to that in high school and right out of high school. It's like right. it's many years later and. Uh, it's still like you're literally making that music now. Right. So can you expand on that a little bit of like, what? can you fill in some of those blanks between, oh, what is this band Streetlight Manifesto? What's that? Versus like, now I'm in my mid thirties and still doing this. Um, well, I think Streetlight may have been one of the biggest influences in that because everything they did um lyrically was very complicated you know they were talking about suicide they were talking about the dangers of capitalism they were talking about um injustices they were talking about a lot of things that um i think in a lot of ways affected me that i i had experience in but i didn't know how to do it and at that time you know blink 182 they're talking about like girls and farts and different things and like the aquabats (laughs) it you know they they're so playful but it was this thing where it was like you can have this music and we won't 
sacrifice the lyrics. We won't sacrifice the musicality because the music is very good. Like they do some amazing things, the harmonies, the horns, they're all amazing musicians. Um, and then, you know, live, they don't sacrifice anything live. They're a crazy show. And I think watching them and the Aquabats live solidified everything. Um, and I think too, like our friendship helped that too, because we were the only two that really dug that stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was very lonely. And so when we were together, it was either ska music or the Simpsons. And they might be giants. Yeah. And not much has changed, I guess. It was one of those things where it was like, I love this. It's so fun. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I'm a pretty energetic person. And so to have a music genre that feels very energetic and very upbeat, but that could still talk about the stuff that sucks was something that I was like, I love that. And so um, part of the reason kind of my path got started was there was no scene in the desert and um, how I learned all my instruments. I, I don't know if you know this story or not, but like my parents bought my brother a guitar when he was in the ninth grade. And when I was in the eighth grade and they were like, you can't touch this. You cannot touch this guitar. And so then you touched it. Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, I was able to convince my dad to buy me a bass. And so my eighth grade year, I learned the bass. My ninth grade year, learned the bass. And then once my brother started playing drums for like the high school jazz band, he like gave up on guitar entirely. And so I took the guitar and I was like, well, I'm going to play the guitar too. And then we had a drum set at home. So, of course, I was going to learn the drums, even though. It was like stepbrothers, like, don't touch my drums. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I learned all of it. And then as, you know, you're showing me this music and I'm getting into it more. I was like, I want to do this music. And then everyone at school was like, no. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll record it on my own. And, you know, I have a hard drive that has literally like my first recording I ever tried to do. And it has some of our little jam sessions and um, I recorded it on the microphone that was on the monitors. I the, remember the computer that. monitor. Like it wasn't even a real microphone. It was the microphone that was in the computer monitor in the CRT monitor. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that setup. Like you know, because I'd come over and then you'd be either having just recorded something or or recording something or whatever. And yeah, I don't think I bought an interface until I was like eighteen. Yeah, I mean, you just, which I, I know that's obviously not the route to best quality, but I always like it when it's like, this is what I have. I'm going to use it and uh, do the best that I can with it. And that is my memory of you in those times is like, Mike is just only doing something with music. No matter what day or time of day it is, like he's either playing it, listening to it or recording it and um, never anything else, which is great. <laughs> like, I mean that in a good way, but that, and that, I think that's kind of true. Like that's basically it. And even when we would hang out and we'd be in like cars or whatever, it would just be listen to this song, listen to that song. And then finally, right. like, you know, iPods showed up and you could actually, you yeah. know, have like share, was, share songs that was a, and stuff. That was a, that was a game changer. But I, I think that was the, the catalyst was, you know, I think, you know, considering your other podcasts and your YouTube project that has a lot to do with like technology and just kind of like media and stuff. 
I honestly think the biggest catalyst was technology just kind of got really accessible. Um, Cause with, you know, I downloaded what is now Adobe audition as my recording program. And that was my recording program for a long time. And then I, you know, played with pro tools for a while and then logic came out and, you know, logic's in the middle of the road. People like it, people hate it, but it does everything I need. And um, it's just kind of gotten easier as time goes on. And so I think that that little bit of um, doing it the way I did it lets me kind of hear the song in my head all the way. And so it makes kind of putting songs together relatively quick. And so that idea of like doing me. Yeah. That's still pretty much my life. Like I have to balance <laughs> kids and my wife and stuff, but like when everyone's asleep, I'm in my little studio doing stuff. Um, yeah. So it's still pretty much that way. <laughs> which is, which I mean, that, and that's great. What is your, what is your wife? Uh, Cause here's, here's my story is when I met Heather in 2017, um, Obviously, I was obsessed with the Aquabats. That was, you mm-hmm. know, as we're getting to know each other, that's one of the first things mm-hmm. uh, that that becomes obvious. And so she, uh, we met kind of in in the summertime, fall, and for my birthday in December, she got tickets to the Aquabats Super Show season two, um, like event at a theater right. in Long Beach, where it was. I don't think she knew what she got herself into. No. But it was but all the Aquabats were there. I remember that. Yeah. It was them watching the entire <laughs> second season of the show <laughs> and giving live commentary to it. Uh, so it was like five hours or six hours. <laughs> um, but it was crazy because like the battle tram was out front. So I got like a picture driving. It was super cool. She had no idea what she was going into. And then within the next six months, I think, I don't remember the exact number. I think she's had been to like i you know but six to seven aquaman's concerts we went to the back to the beach festival and she was like not it it was not a thing that was on her radar prior to that even having grown up in southern california and so what was really interesting to me was when we went to back to the beach which was like three years ago and that was where at huntington beach um they have i have the poster somewhere so it had um it was 311 was one of the headliners. But aside from them, it was Amber, Sublime, <laughs> Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Aquabats, Hepcat, Less Than Jake, Mad Caddy, Suicide Machine, Big D, Fishbone, Save Ferris, Interrupters, Mustard Plug, Agrilites, and The Untouchables. Like, that's a a great lineup of, right. of ska bands. And then there were, like, Real Big Fish isn't on there, but, like, half of the members were in other bands that played and then like Aaron, I got to see Goldfinger play Superman with Travis Barker on drums, Aaron Barrett on guitar, the guy from no doubt on bass. Also, I think, I don't know if my career was there. Uh, It was like this. uh, Oh, and then also like the horn section of the mighty, mighty boss tones with the Aquabats. It was just, what is happening right now? Um, And it was cool because there, that some of those bands are, like you know fast and aggressive and some of them like hepcat is very different from i don't know whatever uh like well goldfinger i guess you could say yeah and it was totally different (laughs) it was cool to see someone who wasn't really familiar with these things just sort of naturally like i like this i don't like this and um to me because she has a background in you know she grew up 
and still likes you know just pop music and like highly polished right. pop music which through suburban legends i gained a totally different appreciation for over right. the years because as a kid you're just like i don't you know i want to listen to cool music and then right. i was like oh no like they're they're working really hard to be like really polished and it, it's actually super cool yeah. but anyway um she had that background and then like hip-hop dance stuff and to see with those backgrounds what i don't know it was just so interesting and then you know she totally likes it so i'm curious um i'm curious your wife's now been close to a decade of dealing with this. So I'm curious how that came about and has gone. And I'm also curious about your kids and if, if what they're, well, one of them is seven weeks old. So right. awareness might be a little low on the ska scene. Yeah. Currently. <laughs> She's um, skanking. But you're, <laughs> but but your older daughter is, you know, like she's definitely old enough. I'm sure to have. Uh, right preferences in music or an awareness of music to know that you play music and it's a thing so i'm curious like as an adult now how does it fit into that family life so like krista um she her background in music is it's a mixed bag but she does love pop music um she really likes hip-hop she will crank all the fast and the furious soundtracks like she (laughs) loves those i Um, mean who wouldn't uh, they have some they have some bangers um but um i mean that's how i got into skrillex was ironically and then it turned to not ironic <laughs> i was like i think i just like this now um but um a friend of hers in high school gave her like a mix cd and it had like the aquabats and real big fish it's and so she story. had been introduced to it um but what's funny is like there's some bands that she really likes and then um, when uh, Goldfinger kind of came back and came out with The Knife, she couldn't stop listening to that album. I love that album. We named our second daughter Mila because of that album. <laughs> oh my like God. our daughter's It's a Mila. really good album. It's a really wow. solid album. And so um, Ray like listen to that album nonstop while she was in the womb because it was just always playing. And then funny enough, the band she really likes is the Aquabats. I mean, that makes sense. Um, one of the songs we listen to a lot that she will like still request is, uh, pajamas on. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, shoot. I'm blanking on the names, but two of the songs from the newer albums that sounded um, like Halloween songs. Yeah. Kooky spooky. Yeah. But there was like, no one wants to come over that song. I can't, I'm blanking. Oh, like the party. It's not the party song, but yeah, party one. And I, I'm just bringing up, I I think it's monsters and aliens or aliens and monsters. I love that song so much. It's but so she, good. she had this weird spooky phase where she was really into Nightmare Before Christmas. And then oh. she wanted to hear everything spooky. So those two songs from like October until Christmas, that's all she listened to. That's awesome. Which, um, is, which is really funny because, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas obviously is very visual. But soundtrack wise and even going like the Simpsons the and stuff. She loves it. Well, Wait, I I might be misspeaking or having a an old person moment. Danny Elfman is involved, yes? No. He wrote the music and he's the singing voice for Jack. Okay, I wasn't a crazy person. Because no, then no, no. that, like, I had always liked him. 
uh, like his soundtrack work. And then through right. the Aquabats, that was how I discovered Oingo Boingo. Or I was like, oh, he has this band which has right. like all kinds of influences to it. And very much a like an upbeat, like, dun -dun -dun -dun, like right. that kind of thing. And I realized from an early age, anything that has sort of like that offbeat, upstroke, whatever, mm -hmm. I've always been drawn to, to it. And that goes, right. so it was interesting because it's like, not that you hear that a ton in Nightmare Before Christmas, but it pops up. And then to her ear just went to like the Aquabats who were inspired, right. of course, in no small part by Oingo Boingo. It's like, that's where it's all connected. And it's interesting that yeah. literally a pure, like unfiltered ear will still like find those trails to follow. Right. I, it's one of those things that like, I think she would really like Oingo Boingo. It's just some of the content. I'm like, uh, she maybe a little, is too young it's a little, to listen to. It. Yeah, a little PG, <laughs> maybe PG eight over there. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I loved Danny Elfman. I, I had always had an affinity for um, orchestra music. The Simpsons, and, and well, the Simpsons, but like the Batman soundtrack. Yeah. Um, all of his movie soundtracks. Um, you know, when he did Spider-Man and uh, most of the Tim Burton movies and stuff like that. But it wasn't until that that compilation that the Aquabats did Controller and mm -hmm. Suburban Legends did on the outside yes. that I was like, oh, this is a cover. And then I sought out Oingo Boingo and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. Same same story for me. That was Controller. That was the thing that, that hooked me. And then me, downloaded the small the world of it version. all, John Avila, who was the bass player for Oingo Boingo, was the one who recorded Real Big Fish's two commercial, not the earliest one, but like the one that has sellout and then the one that oh, has the Oh, yeah, setup. turn the radio off. <laughs> yeah, turn the radio off. And... um uh, why do they rock so hard? Yeah, um, that's the one. And then he also was the the uh, recorded with uh, Suburban Legends Rump Shakers, and I will tell you my most embarrassing story to sh to wrap around how small this world was. When I was at college, I had an opportunity to perform for John Avila, and then after that, I absolutely missed my shot. Because in um, the kids don't like it, there's a portion where the hi-hat tone changes. It just changes. It goes from dark to bright. And we had a Q&A session and me, like a 19-year-old <laughs> idiot, rose my hand and was basic. I don't remember what I said, but the basic sentiment was, hey. You messed up. What was up with that? <laughs> and his You were the guy that was like, in this scene, itchy scratch itchy right, strikes exactly. scratchy's bones with the I hate myself to this day for it. But <laughs> his response was so gracious of oh I, I don't know. It probably just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like so, Yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. That moving was, on. That was that moment where I was like, No. Oh, oh that, that I mean, my shot <laughs> was the impulse in doing that, like to demonstrate how closely you're paying attention to his work or was it to like point out a flaw? You know what? Let's go ahead and say a <laughs> sure. 
But I'm pretty sure I, it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was B because I was <laughs> being a dick. But <laughs> you know, uh, I that's just I would do that. I would do the like. Let me let me show you. Let me list a fact yeah. or do something, which I've done even to like the Aquabats. Like there's been times over the years um, that I've you know like I've been talking to the back commander and I'm like, oh yeah, there was this show here where this thing happened. He's like. Yeah, I don't really remember that one. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. It was like a major point of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that's, you've done 8,000 of them. That's legitimately the most gracious answer anyone could or should give of like, oh, you know, I don't remember that. But yeah, I, I also learned, which I don't know if I've told this story. This is sort of semi-related to this like thing of, especially with ska bands, because they're they tend not to be like the Backstreet Boys at their prime, like they're pretty accessible. So if you go to a show, it's pretty easy to meet them and to talk to them. And if you're a fan for a long time, that will happen on multiple occasions probably. Mm. If, and that's really cool. And I never know how to handle it. Right. Um, we could have a whole episode about that. But I did learn a thing. This was at VidCon two years ago. Um, I saw this was has nothing to do with... Actually, it's tangentially related to Ska because it was... Um, there's a dude, Adam Adam the Woo, who has a Disney-related, like, adventure YouTube channel, but is also, like, a drummer and a musician has played in a whole bunch of bands over the years. Um, super cool guy. I love his channel. And I VidCon, there's a bunch of people who, who you like, and I never know, like, I don't want to bother anyone, but I want to, like, say hi and, and all that stuff. And Heather was like, all you do is you just walk by and you say, I love your channel, and you keep walking. Um, she's like, you don't have to turn it into a thing. You don't have to stop. You don't have to take their time. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I saw him coming my way and I was like, I'm going to do it. And so I walked by and like, he clearly had the thing of like, this guy's looking at me and he recognizes me and he was like filming something. And I was like, Hey, I really love your channel. He was like, thanks. And then I just kept walking, but he was totally ready to go like, and what is your name? Like, let's have a conversation right now. I'm not doing anything. Like, I can totally take 10 minutes and talk. But I just bolted into a doorway that I didn't need to go into to, like, get out of the situation. And what I feel a, so What a nice bad. guy. I mean, he handled it. But I, I do remember a slight look of confusion of, like, where are you going? And I was like, I don't want to waste your time. It's like, who said you're wasting my time? But anyway, um, very quickly... Do you remember your first, like, ska show, live show experience? I know you're talking about Streetlight and Aquabats, but mm -hmm. I don't know if it was one of those or something else. I'm always interested in people's first live experience because that's where it's not just the thing in your earbuds. It's not the thing you're reading, but you see it and you're surrounded by other people who are also in it with you. And that can be right. a really big moment, especially if it happens at the right age. Do you remember yours? Yeah, mine was 2005. It was, like, <laughs> June or July. It was at the Glass House. It was um, the the phenomenots. Um, uh, shoot, was I at this show? No, I went with someone else. I went with a <gasps> How I went with a girl. No, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were gonna press a girl by going to a ska show. <laughs> um, no, it um, it was like because you know. <laughs> I had a friend who they were all into the Aquabats too. Um, it was that like Mormon connection. And, um, <laughs> but it, you know, they drove me yeah. out there, so I'm not going to say anything. And, um, who, gosh, it three piece band. They wore like space. Supernova. Suit. 
Supernova. Thank you. Uh, so it was the Phenomenauts, Supernova, and the Aquabats. And that was my first show. And I still have a photo with my friend. And at the end of it, and we are drenched in sweat. And I got to believe it's not all ours. Um, we were like close to the front for a while. We were by the pit. We danced in the pit. It was this crazy thing where I was just like, this is chaos, yet somehow everyone is a really good sport about it. And so there's no like, there's no confusion. Cause you know, we in Palm Springs, when we were at the age where we were kind of making our own decisions about music, there was a huge hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was. Like, whatever people were listening to, all the bands were hardcore. And yeah. so all the shows in the desert were hardcore shows. And I remember walking down downtown Palm Springs um, because my friend was like at this show and I was meeting him there and a person, I, gosh, it was like a girl I went to high school with came out and she had a giant welt on her yeah. forehead because the pit was just so crazy. And, you know, that's not a reflection of all hardcore shows, but that was my only experience with pits and so to have this pit where like (laughs) people are skanking about and just dancing and enjoying themselves and no one's pushing each other and then if there was someone who was getting rowdy the whole crowd would be like no you need to calm down (laughs) i was just like yeah (laughs) i was just like this place is so safe and so fun and the show was ridiculous yeah and um you know, for me, it was my first like real show. I had seen like swing bands and big bands and I I'd gone to musicals before, but this was the first band that I had like a connection to and I knew the words to all the songs and it was just a fun experience. And then that that started. That was a spark that made me go, I got to go see every band I love. And the next show I saw was like Streetlight Manifesto and Real Big Fish. And um, you and I had gone to Disneyland a few times to see Suburban Legends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we together had gone to a bunch of Aquabat shows. And yeah. all of that sparked from that that experience at this little, which the Glass House is, is for its venue, a very famous venue. Like lots of bands go there. Lots of big bands go there. But it oh, feels yeah. really tight knit and small and fun, <laughs> and that sparked it. So it was the Aquabats, yeah, like of course, twenty seven years ago, twenty six years ago. Wait, no, or that's not possible. Sixteen years ago. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I was like, Jesus, what's not, what year is it? Um, but I was looking because we were texting before Near this. Your, <laughs> your your contact picture on in my phone and stuff is a picture I took, I think, outside of the glass house. Um, and it's you. I, like, just held up a camera and took a photo real quick. And you're, like, surprised and sweaty and wearing an Aquabat shirt. Um, that's, that's and that has right. been my contact info <laughs> since probably 2007 or so. And even yeah. today, it was like, Mike has a new photo of him, like, holding his daughter. Do you want this to be the contact photo? And I was like, nope. I'm going to stick with this one. Um, but anyway, yeah, not nothing against your beautiful family but you know i got and I'm this pretty photo sure, wasn't that the show where they did charge front to back i think so because and you're wearing the shirt i can see it from here it's the one where it's the guy and it says the aquabats rules yeah 
Their which, ability uh, to play with the letter S. <laughs> I am always a fan of um, incorrect spelling on purpose. And I'm a committer of incorrect spelling on accident, too. So anyway, um, I think that I would love a thousand percent to have you on future episodes. And we can talk more about Scott because I feel like there's yes. we could do a whole season about stuff. Um, yeah. But in the meantime... Thank you for staying basically late at work to do this. I appreciate that no, very much. You're good. you're good. I am good. And uh, for anyone who thinks you're good and would like to, I don't know, either follow you somewhere or check out music, do you have any links or like anywhere you want to direct anybody? If you look up the Toyota Ska, that's pretty much where the only thing that comes up because everything else is legitimately toys. Um, like Toy Yoda, the character, yeah. not the car. Yeah. Yeah. T O Y Yo oh. <laughs> Y O D A. <laughs> um, if you look up Good Luck Ugly, we're the only thing that comes up because it's such a ridiculous name. And um, Holy Schnikes, we're on Twitter. And uh, I think we have an Instagram. It's just Holy Schnikes Ska, probably. I'll put links in the show notes for everything. So I'll find the accurate ones. I'm on Twitter, um, Mike the Alvarez. And you also, to bring this full circle, occasionally make appearances in Bill Oakley, Simpson Producers, food yes. review videos. Bill, Bill and I are pen pals, basically. Well, uh, thanks again so much, and thank you for listening. I appreciate that. If you want to respond to anything or share your thoughts on anything to be included in a future episode, feel free to send an email to ska at hi-my-name-is-tom.com, and I'll be sure to include that in the next episode. I really appreciate you being here, taking the time. Thanks again to Mike, and I will see you, hear you, talk at you next week. <laughs>